All right, appreciate it, guys. Y'all brought a Bible with you? Say amen. And uh, let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22 this morning. We're going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel, and obviously I just skipped a bunch of verses. Y'all all right? But uh, next week we'll actually speak on Easter, and then the following week we'll jump right back into our verse-by-verse study. But this morning we're going to look at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. It's an awesome, awesome text of Scripture. Now, most of you, when you came in this morning inside your pocket, you've got what I've got. You've got a telephone, right? Or maybe you've got it in your purse, but without a doubt, you've got some kind of technology hanging out with you. And uh, if you're cool like your pastor is, you also are able to receive text messages. Do y'all get those say yes? I'm asking y'all. Y'all get them over there because y'all, y'all are cool like that, aren't you? I can tell, all right? And uh, what's interesting is that somebody just sent me a text. Thank you, Brandon Roney, wherever you are. He just sent me LOL. But anyway... Um, if you're here and you have my number, please don't text me in the message, all right? But anyway, so uh, it's pretty crazy because oftentimes we get text messages and people put stuff in there that we have no idea what it means. And so I did a little Google research on your behalf this past week to find out the top 10 text messages that are actually sent out today. And I want to spend a little time telling you what they actually mean. I think it will help you, especially all you grandparents, all right? It's going to help you out tremendously because y'all quit texting me, whoever's doing that. Y'all listening? I need to turn my phone off. I'm sure that was probably Jay Burkett. Was that you, brother? Hey, let's go ahead and look at the top 10. Here they are. First one is cool. Anybody know what that means? It means cool. If you were cool, you'd have knew that. You never got that text, did you? Here's the second one, HMU. Anybody know what it means? It means hit me up. Just letting you know, hit me up means, would you please call me on the telephone? Here comes the next one right here. It's coming up very quickly. WT is what? Which means what? <laughs> and then here's my personal favorite. Here it is, whatever. <laughs> so, so if you hit me up, I'll be like, whatever. Here comes the next one right here. Sup, which means what's up? Here comes the next one, IDK. I don't know. So somebody texts you and says, sup, you just say, IDK. Here comes the next one. Anybody know what that means? It means okay. It's brand new. It's hot off the press, all right? God bless you. Here comes the next one right here, WBU. Anybody know what that one means? Yeah, what about you? Who said that? You're totally cool in my book. God bless you. I love it. Here comes the next one. Pop it up there for me. IDC. That means I don't care. <laughs> GTG. Anybody know what it means? What did you say? No, you're wrong. It's good to go. I'm glad you came to church today to learn that. Please don't scream at me while I'm preaching. No, I'm just kidding. Or you will got to go. You will got to go. That's great English. I learned that in Lula. Y'all all right? <laughs> anyway, as we read the Old Testament, we read the New Testament, we actually find that the Lord send us a lot of text messages. And so he sends us messages in these tiny phrases, and we see some of those this morning as we look at the Lord's table. The Lord has actually sent us a text message, so to speak, through the bread, but he's also sent us one through the cup. And as we study that together, we're going to learn the full meaning of what the Lord Jesus Christ was actually teaching you and I in our present day. So Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 14, let's stand in honor of God's word this morning. Luke chapter 22, verse 14, uh, you got it there, say Amen. And the Bible says, when the hour had come, uh, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is, is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word. And right now I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit you'd speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, we know according to Scripture nobody can come to you unless you call them. So I pray that through the gospel message this morning you would call people to salvation. God, we also know that people are born again by the seed of the word of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would plant the seed of Scripture into the hearts of your people. And those who do not know you yet would be redeemed. And God, I also pray for us as believers that we would come to understand the full meaning of the Lord's table. And that we would rejoice in all that you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray as well that you would just fill me with the Spirit. Uh, grant me the ability to preach your word this morning in such a way that would honor you. In such a way that would... Uh, lift you up, and God, I'm going to rest in the scripture that when we lift you up, you draw people to yourself. Thank you for your hand at work over the past two services, people being saved and uh, joining our church family. God, we're so uh, thankful for how you work, and Lord, we trust that you will work again in this particular hour. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray, and everybody said, amen. And you can be seated. So what message did Jesus have for us in the body and the cup during the last supper? So let's first of all look at the message of the bread. Look at your Bible again as we see the message of the bread in verse 19. Scripture says, and when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, the Passover meal was a common meal to be celebrated among Hebrew families. This was a time for families to reflect back upon God's goodness to their Jewish forefathers as taught in the Old Testament scriptures. They suffered uh, literally greatly, the Hebrews did, under the hand of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And this particular meal was set aside for them to remember the suffering of their people. For 430 years, they arrived with agony as servants to a godless king. However, God faithfully raised up for them a leader by the name of Moses. And Moses was called to lead the people of Israel out of Egyptians' bondage. And at the time of the great exodus, the people hurriedly packed to leave. It was a speedy process. In fact, so speedy it was, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 34 we read, So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls bound up in the clothes on their shoulders, and they left. See, this rapid departure from Egypt was to be remembered by each Hebrew generation following it. And to help them remember the occasion, there was instituted a feast of unleavened bread. Now, the Passover meal was a one-day meal, and then the feast of unleavened bread actually was a week after the Passover. But historically, we find that these particular events actually merged together as one. So Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread all became one particular time. But you can imagine, as an Israelite family gathered together and they were eating the unleavened bread, they would recount the stories of God leading the people out of bondage through Moses. And in that particular conversation, they would be like, it was so fast, they didn't even have time to put leaven in the bread. Now, with that backdrop in mind, the New Testament gives us three major messages about the bread served by Jesus during the Last Supper. So I'm going to give you these messages. What does the bread speak of? Well, first of all, the bread speaks of purity. See, throughout the New Testament, leaven refers to an evil influence. 
Jesus warned of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 16 and verse 6. He spoke of their teaching as being an influence that should be avoided at all costs. And then as we've studied together in Luke's gospel, we also have learned that leaven spoke of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. The hypocrisy being that they were saying and claiming to have a relationship with God when in fact they did not know him at all. But we also know according to the New Testament, Paul exhorting believers to guard against the tiny bit of leaven that can work through the whole batch of dough in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6 through 8. He spoke of allowing sin to get a foothold in the family of God. So he guarded, he, he warned them to guard against the sin which the devil would try to plant in the context of the body of Christ to cause disunity. That was considered leaven. When sin is allowed into the body of believers, it will continue to grow and affect the entire fellowship. Now, as we look at that principle, we can also apply that to our personal lives. We are not to allow leaven or sin to have a foothold in our life. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to tempt you and I as believers into bowing down and submitting ourselves to a particular sin. He wants to tempt us to allow sin to reign in our mortal bodies, whereby we obey its lust and its desires. We do what sin says. But the Bible teaches you and I that we need to be very quick, especially as we come to the table, to make sure that we sweep the leaven out of our life, that we get rid of the sin. Because if you allow just a little sin to take root in your heart, know this, it will work its way through your entire life. So I want you to think for just a moment about your own life. When you came to worship this morning, was there some sin in your heart, some sin in your life that you have held on to, that you have babied, that you have allowed to take a root in you? You know, as I was preparing this message, and even uh, yesterday and on my way here this morning, I continue to pray in preparation for the Lord's table that God would bring to my mind sins that I needed to repent of. And it's amazing each time that I prayed that particular prayer that the Lord would begin to bring things to my mind that I needed to be confident that I swept out of my life, that I confessed to the Lord, that I repented of. Now, when I use the word repentance, oftentimes we consider repentance only in the context of a person who is far from God, who does not know God. Those who are outside of the faith. You know, the Bible teaches that in order for a person to be saved, that is forgiven of all their sin, taken out of darkness and placed into light, uh, taken out of death and placed in life, the only way they can experience that is if they repent of their sin and place their faith in Jesus Christ. They must trust that Jesus' death on the cross paid for their sin, believe that he was buried and was resurrected. They must choose to follow him. And at the moment of repenting, which means turning from your old way of living and thinking and trusting Christ, then you are saved. Now, oftentimes, we as believers think repentance happened way back then when we came to faith in Jesus. But the Bible actually teaches that a believer spends their life repenting. So you not only repent for salvation, but you also spend every single day of your life repenting of sin, turning from your old way of thinking and living, trusting in Jesus Christ to live his life through you. And it's interesting because you may be in the house this morning and say, I have no sin in my life, uh, to which I will just quote to you First John, that if you say you have no sin in your life, you are a liar. Are y'all all right? And the truth is not in you. In fact, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So some of you came this morning to God's house, but you had sin in your life. 
And the New Testament would encourage you as believers to repent of that sin, confess it to Christ, and allow him by the Holy Spirit to sweep the leaven out of your life. Now think for just a moment about what Jesus is doing at this Passover meal. He is holding forth this unleavened bread. And what a great depiction that is because remember leaven spoke of false teaching. But Jesus said, this bread is my body. So ultimately what he was saying about the bread is that his body was absolutely pure. That he did not come disseminating false truth, but instead he came as the way, the truth, and the life. Everybody should listen to him. We also know that the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he is without sin. So Jesus Christ is absolutely pure, utterly void and empty of sin. There is, listen, no one more pure than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the sinless Son of God. So as he takes this bread and he offers it up during this Last Supper, he is saying, this is my body, a reminder to you and I that his body is absolutely pure. But then secondly, there's a message. The bread not only speaks of purity, but the bread speaks of humility. Look in your Bible at verse 19. The Bible says, and when he gave, had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus here is predicting his own death. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 45, it tells us the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. The simple fact that the bread represented the body of Jesus Christ reminds us of the incarnation of the Son of God. That is the humble action of the eternal Son to take on flesh. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. There was never a time when Jesus was not, and there never will be a time when Jesus will not be. He is always and forever. And yet Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who spoke the world into existence in Genesis chapter 1, at the proper time according to the New Testament, stepped onto the earth in flesh and dwelt among us. And he came as a baby. What a humble, humble position. Now the Bible tells us, Paul the Apostle writing in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, Jesus emptied himself. Taking the form, listen to this, of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, while the unleavened bread at the Passover table was a picture of the suffering that the Israelites underwent, Jesus unveiled its deeper truth as being a picture of the suffering that he would undergo on the cross. And this is very common of Jesus Christ in his preaching ministry. When Jesus came, he would say to the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, and the crowds, he would be like, Hey, you have heard it said of old, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, and then he would say, If you have anger in your heart, it's considered murder in God's courtroom. Jesus would say, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that if you look with a woman with lust in your heart, it's committed adultery already. So the Lord Jesus came, and he would take the truth of the law, and then he would give a deeper meaning behind it. So here at the Lord's table, it seems as if the Lord Jesus Christ is holding up the bread, and he is saying, You have heard it said, how the Israelites suffer. But I say to you, I am going to suffer for the sins of the world. That bread, that bread, broken, is a picture of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, broken and given for us. And the bread speaks of humility. 
But then also we note thirdly that the bread speaks of unity. The scripture notes that Jesus broke the bread and gave it to them. He gave it to them. All right? They were sharing the representation of Jesus' body. And this is huge. Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17 this. Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Now, when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are made to be unified as a body with the Lord Jesus Christ as our head. So Jesus Christ not only redeems us individually, but he puts us into a body collectively, and in that body should be complete and total unity. And as we share the bread together this morning, we are reminding ourselves of the very fact that the only thing that can make unity possible is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Because you and I do not have the ability within ourselves to love one another unconditionally. As nice as you are, it is very difficult for a person without Christ to genuinely, unconditionally love you. As a matter of fact, without the Lord Jesus Christ, it is impossible for us to live in peace with one another. But at the moment of your salvation, you are not only ushered into the family of God, whereby you become sons and daughters of the Lord Jesus, but also you are ushered into a unit in which the Holy Spirit now resides within your heart, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to love one another unconditionally and to live at peace with one another. The Lord in his body being broken for us, actually brings unity to us. The Lord wants us to be unified with him. In fact, this is why Paul the Apostle writes to the church at Colossae saying, put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Don't lie to one another. You've laid aside your old self with its evil practices, and you have put on the new self who has been renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. You see, the bread speaks of unity. And when a person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are unified in the body. And it doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're a middle person. It doesn't matter if you're black or you're white or you're Asian or Indian. When you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a part of his family and we are all one. And that's why when a person comes to faith in Christ and we're a part of the family, racism is ungodly and actually against the heart of Christ. So there should be no racist in the body of Jesus. And those who are racist in the body of Jesus, I would question whether or not they're genuinely saved. When they are redeemed, their lives are changed. So the Lord is in the process of bringing all kinds of people together. There's a promise over in the Old Testament God made to Abraham. And he promised Abraham that through his seed, all the nations, plural, would be blessed. All the nations, all right? Through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. In the book of Galatians, chapter 5, Paul the Apostle tells us who the seed is that God was speaking of in the Old Testament when he spoke to Abraham. He says that seed is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, who actually is from the lineage of Abraham, came as the promised seed who would be a blessing to all nations. How would he bless all nations? He would open up the doorway of salvation for all who would believe to come into the family of God. And he would bless all nations. And the Bible teaches us in the book of Revelation in the last day that people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation would bow down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ and give him praise, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
So ladies and gentlemen, as we come together looking at this bread and taking this bread with one another, my question is, do you have a sense of disunity in your heart? And let's apply that directly to our church here at Concord. Are you all with me? Say yes. Think about this fellowship right now. You got a problem with somebody in this church? You need to get that mess straightened out. If you have some rub against somebody, some rub against you, man, you just got this uh, issue in your life that every time you get around them, you just don't even want to talk to them. You want to avoid them. You see them coming down the hallway. You go in the wrong direction. That is not of Christ. You need to repent of that. And your repentance should go as far as your sin. So you tell the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive you for your heart of disunity towards another brother or sister in Christ. And even so, as he forgives you, you go to those individuals and say, I've asked the Lord to forgive me. I'm asking you now to forgive me. There should be no more unified per place on the face of the planet than the church. And when people come in here, they know we are his disciples because of the love that we have for one another. So we can't walk around in disunity. We can't walk around talking trash about one another, being ugly. That is against God. That is opposite of what the church should look like. Can I get a witness on that? There should be unity. And I'm so grateful that unity is expressed in the body, but I pray for unity to excel still more. And as we take of the Lord's table, listen, if you've got a problem with somebody and you ain't going to get it right, don't take of the Lord's table. That would not be smart on your part. That's the message of the bread. Bread speaks of his purity. It speaks of his humility. It speaks of our unity in him. Y'all ready for the message of the cup? Say yes. And uh, here's where it's awesome. Look at verse 20. The Bible says, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. You know, Jewish history teaches us that the Hebrew Passover table would consist of four cups of wine. And these four cups were used to remind the people of God's four promises in Exodus chapter 6, 6 through 8. So you can consider for just a moment, they would pass the bread around the table, and they would talk about God's redeeming them in the Old Testament. And then they would pass one cup around, and another cup, and another cup, and another cup. And each cup would cause them to talk about another of the promises of God. So the first cup they would pass around, they would remind themselves that God made a promise where he said, I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from their bondage, and they would drink it down. The second cup, they would remind themselves where God said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgment. And then the third cup they would drink, they would remind themselves that God said, I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And then the fourth cup, they would drink down and they would remind themselves, I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. So they would take these four cups and they would remember the four promises of God. And yet here on this Passover table, this Last Supper, the Lord Jesus doesn't have four cups. He's just got one cup. So Jesus with this one cup, established a promise to the apostles and all who would believe as a result of his death, burial, and resurrection. He made a promise to all of us. And while the four cups represented the four promises of God in the Exodus, the one cup represents the fulfillment of these four promises in the person of Jesus Christ for all who would believe. So when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus does something in your life. There is a promise. There is a covenant cut with you and I. So what is the promise? Here's what Christ promises you who drink of the blood. For Christ has promised to bring us out from under the burden of sin and deliver us. 
Galatians 1, 3 through 4, the Bible says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself for our sins gave so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God and our Father. So when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that God made a promise to you that in Christ he would bring you out from under the burden of your sin. But Christ also promised to redeem us with an outstretched arm and give us a new heart. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. See, at the moment that you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ reached out a nail-scarred hand, and he, listen, he redeemed you. He brought you to himself. And then thirdly, Jesus Christ has promised that he would take us as his people. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So the Lord Jesus Christ has made a promise to you and I that when we place our faith in him and receive the blood into our lives by his grace, that in that moment we are actually made his people. And the Bible says we're made his people for a reason. We're made his people so that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who brought us out of darkness and put us into light. So God saved you so you could tell people about it. And so the Bible says in the Old Testament, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So if you're redeemed, you ought to say so. God is using the church, using this body, which is his, to actually be a mouthpiece to the nations of his grace so as many people as possible can get on the train, man. That's your call. That's my call. But also we know Christ has made another promise. Christ has promised that he would bring us to the land sworn to Abraham. Listen, in the Old Testament, God made a promise to Abraham that he would receive a certain land. He has not received that land yet. That's why over in the Middle East, they're always arguing over the land. They're arguing over the Gaza Strip. They're, they're saying, it's our land. We say, it's our land. Uh, this land is your land. This land is my land. Y'all listening? And they're arguing, and they're fighting. They're like, this is ours. This is ours. One day, Christ is going to come back and set it all straight. And when Jesus comes back, according to the New Testament, the church will come back with him to the earth. And in that moment, God will give the promised land, which was made to Abraham, to his people. And you and I as believers have a part in that. All of this in the cup. We drink it, and we're reminded that Jesus said, I have brought you out. We are reminded that Jesus says, I have redeemed you. We are reminded that Jesus says, I will take you as my people. We are reminded that Jesus says, I will bring you to a land which you do not even know of. All of this in the cup. You know, what's interesting as we look at Luke chapter 22. There's the Passover. There's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. I told you it was kind of molded together as one. The Passover is a phenomenal event in the Old Testament. There was a time when which God made a promise that a death angel would pass through e Egypt, and if any person in there did not have a lamb sacrifice and its blood placed over the doorpost and the lintels of the home, then that death angel would enter into the home and actually uh, execute the firstborn. So they told this to the Israelites, and the Israelites took a pure lamb, 
And the Bible says that they sacrificed that lamb. They would cook the lamb, but they would take the lamb's blood. And with a little uh, hyssop, they would actually spread that blood over the door. Now, you can imagine what this looks like. The death angel sent from God actually passes through Egypt. And while the death angel is coming through, the only thing he is looking for is the blood. But where he did not find the blood, death resulted. But where he did find the blood, he would pass by. Now, in the New Testament, and this is awesome, in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle tells us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. See, the Lord Jesus Christ is spotless and without blemish, and Jesus went to a cross, and when you place your faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you, for the payment of your sin, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, applies the blood of Jesus Christ to the doorpost of your heart. And when death passes by, listen, when death passes by, it does not have the final bite, because you've been redeemed, set free, and saved. I want you to think about this for just a moment. I thought about it in our second service and shared it, and it seemed to go over well, so I'll share it now. Y'all listening say yes? But there was a pastor whose wife actually passed away. He had two children, and he was trying to explain to his children what had happened to his mother. His mother or their mother was actually a, uh, a follower of Jesus, and just through a horrible accident, she had perished. And so they were driving to the funeral that day, and the pastor was talking with his two children in the back seat. Trying to explain to them what happens to a believer after they pass away. And so in the context of that conversation, all of a sudden this massive truck, Mack truck, drives by them and just so casts the shadow over the car. And then the dad and pastor looks to his children and says, let me ask you a question. Which would you rather be hit by, a Mack truck or the shadow of a Mack truck? And they were like, the shadow of a Mack truck, without a doubt. And then he began to explain, when your mother passed away, know this, she was not hit by a Mack truck of death, but only the shadow of death cast over her. She's been redeemed. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What a great truth that is. So as you and I come to the table today and we take of the Bread, which represents the body of Jesus Christ. We're reminded of his purity, his humility, and also, listen to the preacher, our need for unity. And then as we take the cup, we're reminded of all the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ that have been made to us, how he would redeem us, forgive us, bring us out, make us his people, give us this land. We're a part of all of this. And man, how awesome it is that his blood has been shed for us. You know, as we consider the blood, there are a lot of churches who don't want to talk about the blood. In fact, they discourage against talking about the blood because it's too gory. It kind of messes people up. It makes people feel uncomfortable. And so they remove the blood from their preaching. They've removed the blood from a lot of the hymns that they sang. They continue to push all of these hymns out. And some of these are even Baptist churches that are doing this, don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. But listen, you cannot talk about being redeemed unless you talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. So some churches are, I don't know what they're talking about. They're not talking about getting saved, though. The Bible says, through the shedding of blood, there is remission and forgiveness of sins. Thank God for the blood. Amen. Let's bow together. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Nobody's looking around.